You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. It's beautiful, Joe and Carrie. Thank you very much. From guitar picker to candle lighter, just like that in the blink of an eye. Microphones, not so much. But <laughs> just kidding. Well, welcome to Grace Community Church. We're so glad you're here today. If it's your first time, uh, we extend to you a very special welcome. I wanted to mention a couple of things before we get started. Allison and I, on Thursday or Friday morning, I can't remember which, uh, were made aware of tickets to Handel's Messiah at the, at the North Carolina Symphony last night. We went last night, so if I go to sleep during the sermon, you'll understand that. But so beautiful. I remember the first time I ever heard Handel's Messiah you may think the Roman road or some other form of evangelism is the best presentation of the gospel you've ever seen. With hands down, the, 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 the structure of Handel's Messiah, scripture after scripture after scripture, more than half probably, right at half or more than half from the Old Testament, by far the best presentation of the gospel is what I meant to say a while ago. I have ever known. If you have any opportunity this season, this Advent season, to see Handel's Messiah, I want to encourage you to do so. Also, I wanted to say I'm really glad students are still here. You're studying for exams, so you probably won't remember that I say this, but January 15th, when everybody is back, we're going to have a very special guest speaker uh, Isaac Mooneyham, pastor at Wake Chapel Church in Fuquay. Just a wonderful human being, a great expositor of the word. So January 15, when everyone gets back, we'll do that. And then I had a lot of, um, I had so many thoughts rolling around in my head and mind and heart since we're out of the structure of 1 Corinthians and the theme is peace. I didn't know where I was going to be going but especially after testimonies last week, my heart uh, just was in so many good places as I think about Scripture and I think about the church and I think about our place in the world. Our role in the world is the same it's always been. We are to love one another. We are to worship God. We are to partake of the sacraments. We are to tell the world about Jesus. But Telling the world about Jesus might look different now than it did 30, 40 years ago. Uh, it's the same message, but it's just a little different approach. So lots going on in my mind. And I, I wanted to just encourage you to be patient with a, a, a lot of things that hopefully will fall into place this next year. Um, I've been promising for a while we're going to get in the book of Revelation. Um, since I know it so well, we're going to get to Revelation, and you're just going to be amazed. You might be amazed, but it might be for the wrong reasons. But, and then I, I, I remember saying, but you know, we really ought to do Daniel before Revelation, and some people go, oh, you know. 
And now you're going to go at that again because really we need to do Habakkuk before we do Daniel. Because we need to understand what God is doing or how he functions. We don't know entirely what he's doing. We have a better sense maybe than most. We don't know exactly what he's doing, but how does, what are the patterns of God's working with the nations and with the church and in the world? What's he doing in all of that? Just be patient. As soon as we get past 1 Corinthians, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into Habakkuk. And please, if you have complaints, tell Jim McLaughlin. He's the chairman of the elders. <laughs> don't tell me. Well, I've already mentioned it, but last Sunday morning at Grace was a wonderful, wonderful day of testimonies. After a short but powerful message on hope by Ricky Lee. Not, I hope it won't rain for our picnic, but the, the firm and certain assurance that we have of eternal life because of faith in Jesus. And there were three Themes that emerged, at least in my thinking, I'm a preacher, I can't help, I have to think in threes, you know, I can't help it. So three themes that emerged from the testimonies that seem to define who our church is. And you might articulate these differently, but here's what made an impression on me. First, a confidence in the authority of Scripture and its relevance in our changing times. Do you like change? I surely do, on some things at least. I mean, I'm grateful for the developments of anesthesia and antibiotics and analgesics and combustible engines and ultra HD smart televisions. Okay, well, I might be a little behind on ultra uh, HD smart televisions, you know, ages behind, something like six months or so. Now, I realize it's more than that. But man, do things change quickly in her. Aren't you grateful that some things stay the same? Not the sort of things that hold us back, but, but the laws of nature and physics that provide stability in our quest for positive changes that benefit humanity in multiple ways. Are you not also, though, a bit concerned that technology has significantly outpaced our ability to process the effects of these advances. Sometimes it feels as though we're being carried along on rapids that could well lead to devastating waterfalls of destruction. But we have an anchor. And that anchor is God's word. Scripture, God in his word, Scripture has always presented itself as truth that must be accepted or rejected. Now, for over two centuries, Protestant academics in particular have sought to make the Bible palatable to rationalists and scientists by emphasizing some truth to the exclusion of others. God's love is everything. Righteousness, justice kind of falls by the wayside. God's love is everything, and here's how we interpret his love. When I, what I heard uh, last week from you was a commitment 
to Scripture. Either take it or leave it, right? And apparently you've chosen to take it. I'm gratified and I'm encouraged. I'm also fortified and ready to stand with and for Jesus because of your faith and your faithfulness. Thank you. My second takeaway from the Thanksgiving testimonies uh, was the positive effect of a long-term commitment to the gospel. How should we live in the 21st century? How should we live as husbands and wives and parents and teenagers and seniors? The same way New Testament believers have always been instructed to live according to the gospel. Last week I heard testimonies about the benefits of the long-term effects of the consistent preaching of the gospel here at Grace. Far beyond me just preaching and if you think that's bragging then you don't understand the gospel the the gospel tells us there is no room for that but the beauty of it is when we get outside ourselves and we give praise and honor to God well then not only is all glory going to God but good is coming our way not good as the world and even we tend to interpret it but God's goodness I attended a church when I was in Bible college where every single Sunday uh, there was a healthy portion of the sermon dedicated to the plan of salvation. Now, a lot of people, most of us in fact, before we start to understand, dive in deep. Many of us equate the plan of salvation with the gospel, but the gospel is so much broader than that. But every Sunday... A lot of time was given for the plan of salvation. And then we didn't sing four verses of Just As I Am. We sang at least four songs with just one more verse that perhaps maybe, maybe you'll respond to God's word. I concluded in my Christian immaturity that there was just too much gospel at that church. But man, was I wrong. There was too little gospel at that church. It was far too focused on man's doings rather than on Jesus and his work. The gospel reminds us of our sinfulness and our inability to accomplish anything of eternal value in our own strength. And that's, that's the rub with a lot of people. They don't like to hear that. But it also assures us of Jesus' Ability, willingness, and delight in obeying the Father's will and bringing glory to God. To live a gospel-saturated life frees us from a performance-driven quest for acceptance and acclaim so that we can feel good about ourselves. Because that's how we know we're fit for heaven, right? We feel, I'm better than Shambly, so i got to be okay. Because he's all right. He's not bad. And I'm better than he is, so surely God's going to be okay with me. The gospel assures us that it ain't about being better than Shambly. It's, a, it's, 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 it's the beautiful truth that God loves me, whether I succeed in the eyes of the world or not. The gospel's not something we pull off the shelf 
blow the dust off and, and use for evangelism and outreach and then put it back in its place. The gospel guides, instructs, comforts, challenges, and motivates us to love one another and live for God's glory, as our text this morning is going to show. You may be wondering when we're going to get to the text. That will not be too long. One last point from last week's testimonies. The importance of family, especially the close family inherent in home groups. Americans have long admired the courage of the individual. One person standing for the right cause or the right belief will often ignite a popular movement toward justice. Those are the stories we hear about, but there are many stories of bravery and commitment, even to the point of death, that we will not know about until eternity, that do good things. For most, it is easiest and safest to find a way to just this once, just this once, justify the wrong and live to fight another day. So there are several responses to what I've just said. First, we're not called to stand for truth by ourselves. We're brought into a family who will stand with us for the truth of God's word. Second, our family helps us know when we need to stand and when we need to stand down. And that, that's an important distinction. And there are times we do not need to go in there. Just hold your position. Keep quiet. It's okay. This is not a fight you want to have. So... Be careful. Third, no stand for the Lord is wasted. Not only does God know our hearts and our courage, but I'm convinced that good will come of what we do when nobody else knows about it. It's just the way it works in God's creation. The reason my heart and mind have gone so quickly to the need for courage is because of the increasing pressure for believers to conform to the ways of the world. You may have heard about the Respect for Marriage Act that was passed this past week with bipartisan support, which ostensibly guarantees religious freedom as well as the protection of same-sex marriages, but it also codifies a redefinition of marriage under American law. The United States now joins some individual states in recognizing, no longer recognizing, a biblical definition of marriage as sacrosanct. In fact, this week was a giant step if the state so desires. And when you talk about it in those terms, the state always desires. If the state so desires, this week went a long way in forcing all organizations, whether religious or not, not only to accept same-sex marriages, but to celebrate them as in we might well be held liable should we refuse to perform such marriages. I realize there's language written in there that says, oh, no, 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 that won't happen. But believe me, it's steps of progression. And a full change might come sooner than we expect. So this is not going to be a message about, all right, we need to take, we need to go organize political. No, it's, it, it's as far from that 
We're talking about peace today. Peace that Jesus brings. But it's a tough day. And so will we stand? Will we stand up to the intense vitriol directed against those who hold to a biblical definition of marriage and who still believe that God's created order is our guide for life? Or will we wither under the intense pressure? One of the senators, Senator Loomis from Wyoming, said this week, you just have no idea the hatred that comes towards those who try to say, we do believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. The pressure is just too intense. And then she justified her vote. Both of our North Carolina senators voted in that direction as well. <clears throat> so are we going to be able to stand, not looking for trouble, not looking to pick a fight, just saying this is where we stand when the fight comes this way. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, against all of those. It, it, it's not the same. And, and again, <laughs> but we'll get to it. Let me just keep going. We will only stand for the right things if we always ask the following question about questionable activities. What does the Bible say? If you believe the lie that anyone who opposes this new order is hateful and repressive, then you are likely to side with the culture. If you have the stabilizing family of a home group, then you'll not only have the truth of what is preached, not just by me, but by all who preach on Sunday morning, but you will also have the support of like-minded believers who will be praying for you and checking on you through the week. These will be your people and they'll walk through life with you. That's what family does. Today's Advent theme is peace. When Jesus was born, the angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Upon whom does God's favor rest? It rests on those who believe the gospel. Our text this morning is Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And the title of the message is God's gift to his children. The peace of Christ in the family. Jesus is the remedy for turbulent times, not because he makes us immune from the turbulence, but because Jesus has endured the consequences of our sin, and in him we have peace. And his peace should find expression in the church family in which he has placed us. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Colossians 3, 12, after having said, take off all of these sinful activities of your past and realize that God has broken down, Jesus has broken down all barriers between 
<clears throat> men and women, Greek and Jew, slave and free, barbarian, Scythian. All of those barriers are broken down. He says, then put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, <clears throat> and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. Thank you and be seated. I haven't uh, done this search, but I would have, I'm going to guess that I have preached more one-off sermons from Colossians than any other book of the Bible except for Psalms and <clears throat> possibly the book of Romans. Today's text is crucial for healthy church life. <clears throat> when you, when someone asks, what is the model for the New Testament church? Almost everybody goes to the end of Acts 2. I think this one is just as important as the end of Acts 2 that tells us how, how we are to live and this one that tells us not only how but why we are to live in this way. <clears throat> so we could spend weeks and weeks on this text, but as it turns out, we only have minutes and minutes to go, so I best pro produce the first of four Points from our text, which begins with humility and forgiveness are necessary ingredients in a soil from which love will grow. Actively pursue these qualities. So, I hope you understand what I said a while ago. It's not a call to stand up and, and fight. No, our call... It's a different calling altogether, especially with one another. But then that is to flow over to how we treat those in the world, even those that disagree vociferously with us. So humility and forgiveness. But there's a lot more in verses 12 to 14. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love. Who acts like that this, these days? Who acts like this? Maybe families that have no history of any problems getting along with one another and they see each other every seven years. Maybe that's the only ones that, <clears throat> that act like that. But the ones who are to get along in this way, or are supposed to anyway, are the beloved 
of the Lord. And that knowledge comes before the actions. God's chosen, holy, and beloved children. That's who we are. It is our status as beloved children that enables us to live in humility, to be patient, to suffer long, and to forbear with those who rub us the wrong way. There are people who do, right? I heard somebody say years ago, if somebody rubs you the wrong way, turn around. I wish it were that easy. You know, you can turn your body, but you can't oftentimes turn off up here. Unless you practice these qualities frequently. Think about it. When we know we are precious to God despite ourselves, it settles our hearts and enables us to work at loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you grew up hard, if you grew up without a lot of love in your home, I don't know. I'm sure some did. It's difficult for you to receive that love and acceptance from the Lord. If you've always been fighting just to have your place, just to, just to get what, what's fair. The gospel is a different word. And it's why we need gospel preaching all the time to saturate ourselves in this truth and remember how much the Lord loves us. And so when we know that we're precious to God despite ourselves, it settles our hearts and enables us to work at loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Does loving others <clears throat> come naturally to you or not? How about when you meet the right one, you just know, right? <clears throat> Maybe some of you have been sure that this was the one many times turned out not to be uh, the one. For some, that is the case, but some of you who are married did not have that initial spark, but you gradually grew into your relationship together, and now you're deeply in love. At some point, though, we all realize that the person we thought was perfect is not. That's when we get down to the business of loving, no matter what. That's the love that we're called to toward one another. Family can be complicated, right? As it is in your family of origin, the same is true of a church family. Any family that is loving and supporting and accepting of differences must Work at it. It doesn't come naturally. It does for a while maybe. But after a while, it doesn't. In the same way that you discipline yourself to read the Bible, to pray, to share Christ with others. Discipline yourselves to be humble, to be kind, and to, and to forgive. And that's the only way we can fulfill our calling, which is the focus of the second point. We are called to peace in the family. And this begins... In our hearts. Last week during testimonies, I heard so many beautiful expressions of gratitude for fellow believers at Grace with whom 
you are doing life. Let me say what several expressed last week. If you're not in a home group, get in one. I, I have written, please consider joining one. But what they said last week was get in a home group. It's the little families of home groups that keeps us united as a church in our love for Jesus and our love for one another in the larger body. In verse 15 of our text, we're told to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, as in peace among the family. You, you most likely often think about the peace of God come into your heart when you are in a difficult situation at work or there is a medical scare or something of that sort. But read the whole verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. Have you ever heard your father or mother say, would somebody just give me a minute of peace around here? Although that's not the spirit of this peace, it is the nature of it. Because that usually comes after younger ones in the home are fighting, duking it out, you know. Come on, let's have a little bit of peace around here. So it's the direction. The babies are crying now. I've done it. That's the direction of the peace that he's talking about. We... Look, we're called to live in peace. We're, we're not supposed to live in fear of people turning on us or growing tired of us. This peace is not passive. It's active. The responsibility for peace in the body is on me. There's probably, look, the, the, the anger that Senator Loomis talked about this week um, is the same sort of the anger that's coming toward her for trying to stand for a biblical stance on marriage. It, it, it's the kind of anger and vitriol and hatred that happens shockingly and horrifyingly and sadly in churches because when people get on opposite sides of things and they think they've got God on their side, well, there's no, it's nothing quite like that. We have to work at not allowing that to happen. So if the responsibility is on me, I must not turn on others or grow impatient or angry with my brothers and sisters. Too much is at stake. We are, Grace Community Church, the body of Christ. And when people look at us as a church, they should see Jesus. They may not like the gospel message that we present but they shouldn't be confused about our love for one another in a day when it's difficult really to trust anybody. Let us allow the peace of Christ 
to rule in our hearts, to which we were called in one body, and be thankful. And that leads right to the third point. How we are formed in the church should influence the way we interact with the world, not the other way around. Should we interpret scripture uh, by the culture or should we allow our understanding of scripture to shape the way that we interact with the culture? Since we've been talking about this all morning, you know the answer. Scripture should inform our understanding of the world and how we are to live as Christ followers in a secular Age. When I say secular, it doesn't mean that uh, uh, atheism or secularism is not a religion. It very much is. That's why emotions and passions are so high in these days. But Scripture tells us how we are to live. But Colossians 3 is more specific than simply saying the Word of God should guide us. Look again at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then he goes on. If I ask you to fill in the blank, if that verse were not on the screen, and I said, fill in this blank, let the word of blank dwell in you richly, you would likely say, let the word of God dwell in you richly. But it doesn't say that, does it? And in the Greek text, few Greek texts are a little different on Romans 10, 17. Um, <clears throat> faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The more modern translations will have. Hearing comes by the word of God. Theos or Christos depends on which Greek uh, text manuscript you're, you're drawing from. But they're all agreed on this one. Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly. Um, it is the word of Christ that we are called to follow. Or you could translate this the word about Christ or the gospel. Let the gospel dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The gospel continually reminds us that we need not serve God or one another out of fear, but out of our heart of gratitude for his love for us through Jesus, even though we were and are of ourselves unlovely. <clears throat> you know what I think about all the time? Because most of us spend our lives trying to overcome our childhood. We just do. You say, nah, think about it. You'll, 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 you'll get it. All the time I want to think, see, you were wrong about me. You were just wrong about The gospel frees us from that kind of thing. No, you were right about me. God was really right about me. But he loved me. That much. And instead of trying to prove ourselves, the gospel leads us to a place of gratitude 
<clears throat> for Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, and we gladly long to please him through obedience to the law of Christ and by loving one another. The gospel also frees us from yielding to the culture so that we might be relevant. That's the temptation. <clears throat> Let's be relevant, although that day is passing quickly. We, we get that. The only place we need to be relevant is in the body of Christ. And because of Jesus, we already are. It is this gospel that causes us to love those who hate the truth of Scripture. When our impulse is political rather than spiritual or biblical or gospel-centered, we, we, we make a lot of bad decisions. And that's when we start acting very ungodly in our approach to the things that are going on. And when you hear somebody say, look, if you feel tempted to say, well, I find more in common with my friends over at this place or at that place than I do with the people at church, evaluate. Are you in the right place? I don't mean, I mean in the right place in your heart and mind. And if you are, then maybe you're in the wrong church. I never want to say you should run to another church. I don't, I don't ever want to imply that but this is where we do life brothers and sisters when we recognize that the world is designed to work a certain way because God created it designed it that way, and that it's okay for us to say this is what we believe, even though there is great pressure to say, no, no, that's antiquated and you really need to get with the times and be okay with this or that. We, When we recognize that God designed this world a certain way, but it's broken, we're broken, we're all broken, because of sin, but that the only hope is in Jesus, well, then we'll have a whole different way of engaging the world. We'll love them enough to say, I don't believe God intended for it to be okay to practice this or that behavior, but I do know that God loved us enough to send his son to die for our sins, and there is always hope in Jesus, but if your life doesn't back it up, if you look just like everybody else, why do they want to believe you? Yeah, hope in Jesus done a lot of good for you, I can see. Well, there is hope in Jesus. That's the gospel, and it informs our last point. The gospel binds us together in gratitude for the glory of God. It, there's a lot about gratitude in this text today, isn't it? Rather than bemoaning the times, we ought to give thanks. Look, these Colossians were in a way worse spot than we are with the culture and with the government. They were heading for persecution. They all knew that. But there's a lot of joy and gratitude in this text. We need not live as sad sacks. 
Older ones get that, younger ones don't. We are called to be grateful together. We all get that, right? Even if we are entering dark days for our nation, the church can rejoice in its relationship with God through Jesus. And it can, with gratitude, glorify God in unison. So in response to the Respect for Marriage Act that was passed this last week in Congress, a number of Christian leaders in our land pointed to potentially rough waters ahead for those who will follow and believe God's created order in marriage. And, and, and the question always is, so how are we to respond? Carl Truman gave a great answer. It's very simple. But I want us to think about it before we come to the table. We have to be. If we're going to stand in this day, we have to be part of a strong Christian community. We have to be under the teaching of the word. We have to be taking the sacraments together. We have to support each other. It's what we have to do. Do you know how important our participation in the meal at the Lord's table on this day is? Today we partake of the bread and juice that represent the body and blood of Christ. And as we do, we affirm our belief in the gospel. We believe that our sins had separated us from our God. And there was no way for us to make ourselves presentable or acceptable to him with our good works. But Jesus, 100% God, 100% man came to earth to live a perfect life and to die in our stead. How do you how do you believe that? I don't I don't know, we just do, right? I I have talked with a number of people that really want to believe but somehow just just can't. Why do we believe it? I don't know, but we just do. And we believe that Jesus, 100%, God, 100% man, came to earth to live a perfect life. And then, instead of us dying and spending eternity apart from God, he died in our place. When we confess our sins to the Lord and call on Jesus to save us because of his work on the cross then we are brought into a glorious family where we can finally find peace in our lives. But now remember, no matter how glorious a family is, it's still family, right? Although we have our problems, we have a place where we belong. And that's another truth that we affirm at this table. We belong to Jesus and we belong to one another. We are here to support and encourage and challenge one another and when necessary to correct one another along the way. We remind one another of the gospel, our belief that Jesus is enough and those whose hearts belong to him seek to glorify him. We glorify him together at this meal. We also proclaim to the world, 
that we belong to the Lord and that we believe his word and we will follow his ways no matter the cost. We affirm our belief in his word and we will lovingly stand on truth, not swayed by pressure to conform to the world. That's what we're saying. This, this is what we believe. We have no choice because this table reminds us, 1 Corinthians 11 told us, that Jesus will come again and we must give count to him. I don't know about Senator Loomis's faith. She claims faith in Christ and I, I cannot imagine the pressure she's under. The culture wants to hold us account. We have a higher calling. We have a, a greater accountability. To the one who died that we might live and who will return again in power, in glory. And that's what we affirm. This is not just, oh yeah, go through the motion, a little bread, a little juice. That's what this meal represents. We say to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we will stand on the truth of the gospel. And by partaking together, we help one another stand strong in the Lord. That's what family does. And that's what this meal represents. So I'm going to ask the worship team and the servers, if they would, to come forward. And I want to first give a few instructions. I'm going to tell you up front that the bread is gluten-free. So if you have a, an issue with gluten, you don't have to worry about that. Second, we'll be serving from the front today, as we often do on uh, the first Sunday of the month, we always do on the first uh, Sunday of the month. And by the way, just a word about this. Um, next week we will have communion again because of the following week we're doing Behold the Lamb. And we hope to have a lot of unbelievers here on that weekend, on both Saturday night and Sunday. So we'll do the Lord's Table two weeks in a row. So, ushers are going to alert you when to come forward. You'll come in the interior aisles. you go back up the middle and, and the outer aisles. Just follow the folks in front of you. Ushers will help you. Once you receive the elements from the front, you go to the section that is in, or go to the, uh, the station that is in front of your section. Um, take your elements, take the elements back to the seat and wait for us to partake. Uh, together. If you are unable to come forward, someone from the back will serve you. Just raise your hand and they'll get to you. This meal <clears throat> is intended for believers. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you are a member at Grace or not, we invite you, encourage you to come and partake of this meal together with us. If you don't know Jesus, I would encourage you not to partake 
or to make your profession of faith this morning as you partake. Because even though we don't get saved over and over and over again, at this table we profess over and over and over again what we believe. So it would be awesome if this is your first profession of faith. Our text today is Luke 22, beginning with verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You see how relational this is. If you're wrapped up in religion, it's not about what you do. It's about Jesus' love for you. His relationship with you as he has suffered for you. I earnestly have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of it, the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying. This cup that is poured out for you. Is the new covenant. In my blood. If you would just. Close your eyes. Bow your heads for a moment. We are told. Before we partake at this meal that. We should examine ourselves. And if there is sin there, confess it. Don't let your inability to do this or that, to overcome this or that sin, keep you from this table. No, there is help at this table for you. But confess your sins. Ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins in this moment. Father, we confess to you that we have sinned this week in thought, word, and deed. We confess that we have done things we ought not to have done. And we have left undone things that should have been done. So our hope is in Christ. The blood of Christ covers us, cleanses us from all sins. And so we confess our sins to you today and renew according to your instruction in the spirit of God that lives within us. We renew our faith in Jesus whose shed blood overcomes our sins. And it's in the name of the son that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content 
to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.